Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I said like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Wyatt Sinek is somebody you probably know even if you don't know that you do. He has done a ton of stuff. The Daily Show is a place where he worked for years. He's been in all sorts of different films and television series. He recently had a docu-series on HBO called Wyatt Sinek's Problem Areas that was so brilliant and hard-hitting and high-minded and really beautiful and empathetic and it just it worked on so many levels it was canceled like so many great things are he lives in brooklyn now he does stand-up comedy and has for years in addition to all the other stuff nowadays like so many of us he is homebound he does a great series called the happy hour record club where he spins music on instagram and he will be doing great things for years to come. I know Wyatt from mutual friends in the comedy world, but once we had connected a few years back, we realized that we both grew up in Dallas, Texas, and we both went to all-boys private Christian schools. And um, even though he's a few years younger than me, it was so funny to talk about the shared experience we have of being you know, weirdos and artsy types who grew up in a, a city that's renowned for its commerce, Dallas, Texas. And now we're both in New York, so go figure. But Wyatt is somebody that I really admire. I can never wait to see what he comes up with next. He just gets better and better. And I feel so lucky that I got to pick his brain for this episode of Wheels Off. Please welcome Wyatt Sinek. Welcome to Wheels Off, Wyatt Sinek. How are you? I'm doing okay, Rad. How about yourself? Great, thank you. Um, you're in Brooklyn right now. I am. Yes. Nice yes. boy. I'm so. I'm, whereabouts are you? I'm in the Hudson Valley, and it's incredibly beautiful here today. Yeah. No, it's very nice out uh, here. I think it's about 70 degrees, and yeah, yeah it's been a kind of nice uh, little taste of summer again. Yeah. And so you and I are recording this um, a few days after the results have come, I guess, come out about the election. I still am worried about it. But. Uh, yeah. I mean, whenever this airs, who the hell knows what uh, what new twists and turns could have happened. But for the moment, everything seems incredibly positive. Yeah, right. Um, well, so what creative project are you working on right now? I, I hope you are working on something. And, and how does it light you up? I, 
You know, I think for me right now, it's been it's been a strange thing because even prior to the pandemic, I kind of felt like I was sheltering in place a little bit because I wasn't working. My show had been off the air for a year. And so on some level, I was, I think, adjusting to a, that new normal and had a desire to try to figure out another television project. Um, and that's kind of where I've been, I think, once the pandemic hit, was just like, okay, yeah, I want to try to figure out uh, another television project and find a partner. Um, and so I've had a few different things. I, I've, uh, I started my television career working in animation. And so uh, some of the stuff I've been trying to kind of like pitch and build out have been animated ideas. It'd be, I think on the one hand, it'd be nice to play around in that world again. But I think some of that too, pandemic uh animation is one of those things that it seems like people are like oh yeah you can do that from home so so is that a good thing because it's more people are more open to the ideas or is it a bad thing because it's getting oversaturated i i would say for me it feels like it's a bad thing because the market feels oversaturated (laughs) but that may just be because my projects haven't sold (laughs) Um, I'm sure if I was selling things, I'd be like, it's great. Uh, there's enough room for everybody. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it has been a very, a very, I think, flooded market. And as I've talked to different people, I, I know animators and animation studios. And I know from some of the friends I, I have who own animation studios, they're, turning down work because they're just so swamped right now and which i think is good for them uh and you hope that they can maintain that once this pandemic is sort of lifted that hopefully they'll still have business uh and that it doesn't go into a deep valley for many of them yeah exactly right uh have you have you been able to get out much i mean i love the the record club you know spinning tunes and you know, it feels like that connects people. That's been like a positive thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's been a, I feel like the one sort of weirdly consistent thing that I've been doing has been, yeah, this on Instagram, just hosting something that I've called happy hour record club, where I just have a lot of records and a lot of them are records that I would buy when I was on the road and touring more. and yeah, I, I would just go, you have downtime in a city and it's like you go to museums, you go to record stores, you take a nap and then you go do your show and just have a ton of records that I was like, oh, you know, there's a time when I'm able to go through them. And yeah, maybe if I play a record kind of like start to finish, other people might enjoy that if they want to listen while they're cooking or they want to draw something they can do that and so it's been a kind of nice little uh a nice little community of people that seem to consistently show up for it and it's been a fun way to just go through some of my record collection and stuff and uh yeah that's been a that's been a kind of nice weird unexpected thing like a silver lining 
In some ways, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because I I don't get involved heavily in like the chat that goes on, but there are a lot of people that are sort of communicating, and I'll check in every now and again. But there was one person who, right before the election, was saying that she wasn't sure that she wanted to vote, and I saw it and kind of said something, and then I think a few other people in the chat uh, talked to her as well, and maybe a week later, she sent a message that because of that conversation with everyone that she went and she voted, and uh, everyone kind of like helped her, made her, made her feel more comfortable about voting. And, uh, and so I guess in a nice way, it's, it's, that's what you kind of hope the internet can be that you have a bunch of strangers who are all kind of like unified to do nice things. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I think it's, it's probably a rare thing that those, that those things happen, but that's, I, I feel like if anything, doing it week after week, if, if one person was convinced to vote, uh, that feels like, okay, yeah, that was worth it then. Kind of, it's, it's, um, it's funny. I've got, I've been doing four shows a week myself and there's a chat room on stage at the platform I use and I can't clearly read this chat while I'm doing the show, but I'll like you, I'll check in every once in a while and just sort of see what these People are talking about it, and it's funny because it's definitely a community that's built up, and I think people are just starved for that interpersonal connection. It's funny because you're watching people from Alaska and Tennessee and Maine, and I love that the the virtual aspect does mean that you're talking to people from all over the place. Yeah. but I'm I'm as touring. I mean, I listen to you talking about going to record stores, and it makes me ache a little bit. Well, for you, I, I was going to say, four times a week in a virtual space what is that like as a musician because i i I can imagine it it, in my head it feels like it's maybe some somewhere in between making a music video (laughs) and actually like doing like a a a show Uh, but like maybe like a smaller show because you do have that chat window it maybe feels more like a cafe show. Am I off on that or? No, it's, it's a lot like, um, were you in New York early enough for Fez? Did you get to ever do? No. Yeah. It was before, right before you got there. Um, or it's a lot like Largo, like the old Largo, especially it's like that kind of little, like, well, like I have to trick myself and tell myself a story. It may be performers, you know, stand up comics and especially solo artists, musicians have to do this all the time, but I'm telling myself a story like, okay, all these people showed up and they're excited to see me. And even though like negotiating this transaction is very weird. Like they're all here tuned in. They're all watching me and I can't see them. And, I have to remind myself that it's a positive place and they're all wanting me to, you know, tell stories and do songs. So it's, it's, I'm constantly talking to myself in my head, you know, trying to let myself not, you know, it's so easy to tell myself, oh my God, look at you. You're just sitting in your office all by yourself. Your dog is asleep on the couch behind you. You must look like an idiot. You feel like an idiot. You're an idiot, you know? I it's funny because I've I've seen you do stand up comedy before and and I I love the way you do it and it's it feels like you're very present in in 
some stand-ups I feel like maybe walk up and they're more like kind of what I do. Like they've they've got material, they go, they do their material regardless of the room and almost like they're insulated from the room. I feel like when I've seen you work, you seem like you feel the room a lot and you're very much responding and not like it's crowd work necessarily, but um but but so like I I mean I just I wonder when you when you were starting out we we both grew up in Dallas, like you did a lot of time in Dallas. When you were starting out, did you know that you wanted to do stand up? Did it feel was I mean, or comedy or writing or acting? What was there an epiphany moment start for you? For me, there was definitely at a young age an interest in it. I think I would watch old episodes of SNL and think, oh, that looks like fun, and that seems like. It would be really cool to to do something like that, and I and I would watch shows like The Cosby Show in a different world, and those. And I saw, you know, seeing other black people on television. I saw myself and thought, oh, okay, this is possible. And uh, but I didn't know how to do it because, yeah, in Dallas, I think at the time that I was growing up, you know, the only thing that was happening. TV wise was Walker Texas Ranger <laughs> and I actually I remember when I was a kid I was in high school there was some there was some program that I did where I remember it was like some Saturday morning and I had to drive my stepfather had to drive me all the way out to like maybe Fort Worth from like I was on the border of like Richardson Garland and Plano um, kind of like off Jupiter Road for uh, anyone who is familiar with Dallas uh, geography and street names but uh, we had to drive all the way out early one morning and I had to do this thing with all these other kids where it was like a full day and you took this test at the start and it was like, it was one of those like, what color is your parachute type of tests where they're like, okay, you're gonna fill out all these answers and then throughout the day, we're gonna talk to you about like internships and stuff. And by the end of the day, we'll have tabulated all the answers to your test and we'll find, we'll kind of track you into specific internships that meet your interests and in what this test says. And I remember doing the test and it came back the one of the jobs I remember it it came back with was stuntman. And <laughs> in the moment I thought like like this and this was how this was how limited for me this a career like this seemed. I remember saying to the organizers, like, you know, is there I, I like is there an internship at Walker Texas Ranger? And because they and then they were like, yeah, there's nothing we can do for you. And so I never I never did the program. They never gave me an internship because they were just like, yeah, it's like stuntman and circus clown were kind of the the things that were there. How do they come up with stuntman? Well, I mean, what? I I honestly like it was so specific that I'll never forget it, that like stuntman was was a thing. And I'm sure there were like a dozen other things within that. But stuntman so stood out to me because it 
I think in that moment, like you, you mentioned, like, you know, an aha type of a moment, the idea that I took a test and a test said, here is something in the world of like television and film that like this test is like, I see you, I see that you want to do this. And this weird Scantron thing has come back and said, yeah, I, I see it too. And that for me was that moment of like, okay, yeah, this is, I can be a little more honest about with myself that this is what yeah. I want to do. And then once I got to college, I think that was when I started to really step a little more forward towards, okay, how do I actually go about making this a reality? And what was that? Was that um, like uh, improv? Was it? When I, got to, when I got to college, I, there was an organization called Comedy Sports that does like improv stuff. And so they had a, they had like a location right off campus. Uh, and I went to college in North Carolina and they had this like location there. And I remember going there and I actually kind of failed out. Like they had like classes and stuff, but I was just kind of like playing by my own rules. And I, I was like, oh yeah, I don't really, I see how your thing works, but I think it's funnier if you do it this way and that way. And so I was kind of uh, a little bit of a malcontent in that space. And so they kind of kicked me out. <laughs> and, but then there was, uh, there was a guy who was also doing comedy sports who was making some money doing stand-up. And he uh, took me to a stand-up club in Raleigh, North Carolina called Charlie Goodnights. And I did my first ever stand-up set there. And it took, it, you had like three minutes and I sort of burned through my set in a minute and a half and just kind of walked off stage. And, uh, and then was like, was okay, did it a couple more times, but then was kind of terrified to do it again until I left North Carolina. But while I was doing all that, I, I got an internship at Saturday Night Live. And so that, uh, that was for me the proof that I could do something like this. And, and even getting that internship, I didn't really, I didn't really know how to get it. Like there wasn't, at, I went to UNC and there wasn't like anyone from NBC that was offering internships to UNC students. I just kind of like cold reached out to SNL and was just persistent and about trying to get an internship. And initially I was actually just trying to get a writing job because I thought you could just, I thought it was like any other job. You could just like I was like, I want to be a cast member and a writer on your show. Here's some sketches I've written. And I don't have any tape of myself, but trust me, I'm, I'm good. And, uh, and so I, but I, I had sent them this letter and then they were like, we can't read your sketches. And I didn't totally understand what that meant, but it was for legal reasons. And so I then wrote them back and I was just like, look, I'll, you know, 
I see it's a little bit of a negotiation here. You, uh, I'll also take an internship, and somebody, somebody was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, if you're interested in an internship, contact this person, and uh, and so then I, I did and got an internship and dropped out of college for a semester to go uh, spend, yeah, the fall and winter in New York, uh, and and once I did that, that was like. That was a real, that was a real kind of like validation of, okay, you went out of your way and you got this thing and now you're here and you're in New York and you're watching, you know, all of these people kind of go by. There's Will Ferrell and there's Tim Meadows and there's Molly Shannon and Sherry O'Terry and Colin Quinn and you're seeing all of this and not just seeing it like, they know like you're they know you you're bumping into them because you're carrying their sandwiches and so it it felt like okay this is more this is more tangible than i had thought at 17 uh in some fort worth banquet hall being told that there's no internship for stuntmen <laughs> it's funny i think about you doing that though and i think about how brave you must have been you know because you, it's like you are a stunt man, but it, it's funny too because the word persistent. You use the word persistent in in your sort of negotiations with SNL. That comes up so many times when I have these conversations with people about how they got started. It's it's as if that is the defining trait of people who wind up making a life out of their creative thing. Yeah, I mean, I think. I, I, it's funny though, because I think so often people hear the term persistent and they, it may be easy for people to take that as like, oh, if I just keep showing up every day, like I'll wear somebody down. But that persistence is also a persistence in the craft of whatever it is that you're doing. That, you know, I, I look behind you and I see a guitar and I throughout my life have tried to pick up a variety of musical instruments and what I've lacked in many ways is the persistence to keep going with actually like learning my chords and doing those things and I think it's like there's an internal persistence that is also I, I think that's the that's the thing that's more important sometimes than the external thing because i feel like so often people are like yeah if i just go if i ring this doorbell every day after a while someone's gonna be like fine come in but it's the idea that like oh no it's all that other persistence that like when it gets tough when you're creatively blocked that you're like okay this isn't the thing that is going to say like i'm done it's I may be done in this moment, but I'm going to come back to it and I'm going to build on it and I'm going to I'm going to hone these skills and I'm going to be persistent with that. And then that kind of like other persistence of ringing someone's doorbell every day is almost the byproduct of that sort of internal persistence of like working on it over and over and over again until you're confident enough to feel like, you know what, I can go ring that doorbell because I feel like I, I am prepared enough that if they were to open the door, I will succeed. 
I love that. I So obviously we're all dealing with a lot of obstacles right now, given the pandemic. Um, but I wonder like how you, because what you do, I feel like maybe it's because it's so mysterious to me. It, it seems so hard to be, you know, to be, um, to create your television show was so fucking beautiful to me it was just so thoughtful and deep and useful and um so in creating that and in you know all the years that it took to get there but then dealing with it not being made anymore like how do you deal with the obstacles you've run up against like you've talked some about the internal ones how do you like how do you feel like you overcome them what do you, what is your trick i don't know that i have a trick i don't know you know it's funny because i feel like when my show got canceled, a friend of mine reached out to me and he said, I need to mourn it. Like, and he was like, I, you know, if you're, if you're not in therapy, go get into therapy because it's a loss. And it's a strange thing because you kind of view it as like, well, it's a TV show. I turn it off, I turn it on. But it's a business. Like you, like in a weird way, like when I think about the space and everything, it's, I, I made a shop. I, I made a shop that made a very specific thing. And there were a bunch of people who helped make that thing. And I was an employer and I, you know, and, and so that shop had to close. And there's, I, I think for, if anyone, if you opened an ice cream shop and, you know, after a couple years, it went out of business. Every time you drive down that street where the ice cream shop used to be, even if it's now a yoga studio or, a, you know, a coffee shop or something like that, you're always going to kind of pass by and remember it as like, oh, yeah, it was also my ice cream shop. And and so I think in that way, there was a, a, like thinking about it like that, there was this element of oh yeah, I, I need to mourn this thing. And it's going to be, it's not always going to be like, okay, now I can just move on. But I, but with that, I think there is also this sense of what did I learn from that experience and both the good stuff and the bad stuff and almost a sort of excited curiosity towards making something new that like as much as I enjoyed making my show, there are things I know I could have done better. There are things I wish we had creatively, infrastructurally, so like so many lessons that I feel like I take away from it that I find myself eager for another opportunity because I can say, oh, okay, well, yeah, now this idea is really important to me. I want to make sure with the next thing that I try to put that idea front and center. And maybe the next thing is more successful. Maybe it's less successful. <laughs> but you kind of, but that's, I think, the thing that, especially with like, you know, creative things that I feel like you use to kind of keep going is that idea that, all right, this thing was cool, and I was glad I got to make it. It wasn't perfect, because you're never going to have that thing that's perfect. But now I can, 
I, I get an, I want another opportunity to take the lessons from that and build off of them in some way. And as long as, as long as you get to keep building, I feel like that's, that's the ideal situation. Um, yeah. I mean, I imagine, I imagine like, I, I, again, and I, I know so little about music, um, but I, I feel like with musicians, that idea that like you put out an album and then that album gets received and you learn lessons from it and you learn like, oh, people really liked, you know, I, I thought everyone loved track two. They really loved track five. And then it becomes a thing of like, oh, and when I make another album, do I lean into the things that made track five successful? Is that what I want to do? Like we used a lot of cowbell. Do I go heavy on the cowbell or, <laughs> you know, or do you, you know, do you say, well, no, I like that song was that moment. And here's where I am in my evolution as a musician in this moment, as I'm making this thing, like, I, I, I don't know. Do you, yeah. Do you, is it that anal is it that analytical in uh, looking at things from record to record? I've 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 tr I've thought about things in a way where I tried to please the audience before and I feel like it's always a recipe for disaster. Like I feel like the lessons that I learned are, that are the ones that really stick and are valuable are like if if something feels inauthentic then I don't want to do that again because it feels bad and it's probably going to come out bad. And then if it, but if it feels authentic, even if it's not the thing that clicks or works or succeeds commercially, I'd rather lean into that, as you said. Yeah. And I, I love, I love your show so much. I felt like it was um, so ambitious. I mean, I felt like you were really trying to do, you were doing something that was so, I almost felt like it was like a one year ahead of its time. <laughs> like if it had been one, but like the world is almost going to be ready for it. Damn you, Wyatt. Next time, just be a year later. <laughs> <You're late. laughs> so look, you, you're, you're younger than me, but you've, you've got, you've got some accrued wisdom. Um, if you were to run into, this is the age old question, the 21 year old version of you, but working in today's world, what advice do you think you'd give yourself? The 21-year-old version of me that's working in 2020, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what advice would I give myself? I feel like probably to trust your instincts and be okay if that takes you to some unexpected places. And when I say unexpected places, that, that, may mean, that may mean it takes you to places where you fall on your face a little bit. Uh, but to trust those instincts. I think when I look back at my college career, I interned at SNL, I was 19, I was a sophomore. And there was a part of me that I think debated, should I go back to college or could I just stay in New York and try to 
figure things out out here. And I really, I, I went to college because I didn't know what else to do. And in some ways, uh, there's a part of me that, has, that feels like, oh, if I'd gone back, uh, if I could go back in time, there's a part of me that's like, oh, I wouldn't have minded trying to stick around in New York and just see, even if it was just for another semester and took a full year off of college, just to see what would happen and explore a little more. When I was here for my internship, I just lived with my grandmother and I just kind of went from her apartment in Brooklyn to SNL and back. And I never really spent much time as a 19 year old exploring and enjoying the city. I'd go for walks, but I never like, I never really went to any restaurants. I didn't go to movies. I didn't go to shows or anything like that. It was just kind of like, I might go for a walk and wander around or I'd go to the Fulton mall and just kind of window shop. And then I'd go back to my grandmother's or I'd go to SNL. And I think I, I would have said, yeah, just venture out and explore and enjoy a little more, but trust your instinct that, yeah, if you want, if this is the thing that you want to sort of pursue, then do it. And uh, you'll find a way to kind of make it right. Um, which I think is something that my grandmother always kind of spoke about was like, if you really want something, go for it. And if you really want something, you know, if there's some, thing like she kind of said it with uh, you know in relation to i needed a winter coat at one point and she was like just buy it you'll find a way to justify you'll do the work you need to to pay for it if it's something that you truly want and so it you know and because of that i was a 19 year old with a full length fur coat <laughs> <laughs> that's not true that's not true it was just a it was just a goose down jacket but it was back at a time when goose down jackets were a little more expensive than they are today so god well one thing that's that i've um gotten to do in the last half hour of speaking with you is imagine all these al alternate lives you could have lived as a as a stunt man <laughs> If you had stayed in New York, I wonder what, because I did drop out of college. I, I was at Sarah Lawrence, and after one semester, I was like, you know, I'm out of here. Um, but I've always wondered, like you did the opposite way, what if I had just gone back? I mean, it was just three and a half more years of my life. Yeah. But I, I'm, whatever it was, I'm glad that you did what you did, because I've loved being able to watch your career, and the stuff that you've made has been so great. Thank and you. I, I really appreciate you, you know, sharing your wisdom and this time with me for Wheels Off. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thank you. I think it's funny because I'll just say that, you know, even at the end of the day, I wonder if I what it would have happened if I stayed in New York. But I'm also glad I went back to college because I also think about the various friendships that I gained. But even going back with the after having finished that internship I, I think i felt even more sort of driven to try to make things and so i, I tried to take advantage of what film program existed at 
North Carolina at the time, which at the time it wasn't a huge film program, uh, which was kind of nice because it meant that we had the ability to kind of exploit it in some ways. Um, so in that way, it's also, oh yeah, I, I went and I, I going back to college, I, I still did get some something good out of it. Uh, but yeah, if I dropped out, who knows? Who knows what I'd be doing now? Probably the same thing, but just, uh, yeah, with more winter wear. <laughs> 19 in New York City, though, that, that could have been, it could have gone a lot of ways. It could have. I mean, it's, it's weird, though, because when I think about it as well, like, I was 19 at SNL, and then I was going to all the after parties at that time, but I... I was a 19-year-old where I, I didn't drink. I waited until I was 21 to drink. And I was in all these spaces. And I would go to the after party. Sometimes I'd go to the after-after party. And I was out, like, super late and underage, but never, like, never really thought about it in any way. And some of it also was, like, I was an intern, so nobody was really paying me much attention like I had a few friends who were on the show that I like Colin Quinn looked out for me and Tracy Morgan looked out for me wow. uh, but I I didn't I like it wasn't a thing of like them being like let's get you into trouble like <laughs> Tracy uh, you know I think a couple times Tracy just drove like he would drive me back to Brooklyn and drive me back to my grandmother's and <sighs> yeah and so that like I have like that experience of it was a very it was a very kind of like uh, milk toast experience of a 19 year old with no like living in New York uh, with no one paying any attention to him. I could have done so much worse. So. <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. That's so cool. Well, man, I hope we get to hang out in the same place at some point in the near yeah. future. I can't wait to see what you do next. It's so great to talk to you. Great to talk to you as well and stay safe and enjoy. I've not spent much time in the Hudson Valley, but I hear people love it. Well, I could hook you up. I've got a great guest room. <laughs> We have, have to get a test first. And uh, my, my daughter's great. She's been keeping us very in line with all the protocol. Not that we wouldn't be, but she's a 14-year-old girl and she's hardcore. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I look forward to being able to just do shows and go places. Yeah, for sure. All right. I, well, I can't wait to hang out again. Take care yeah. of yourself. You too, Rhett. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, 
We're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.